You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, some really sad news, actually, um, from the family of Gordon Banks. Stoke City have just tweeted that it's with great sadness we announced that Gordon Banks passed away peacefully overnight. So that news just broken that Gordon Banks has sadly died overnight. You use a term, legend often gets used in the wrong way, but here is an absolute legend and, and a wonderful human being, an absolutely amazing man. He was my hero and obviously he was a, an unbelievable goalkeeper. Carlos Alberto, that's dangerous. Giardino. Only left to standing. That is the best save ever, by far. Every time I see it, I can't believe that he's kept it out of the goal. But there are two players in the West Ham side not daring to look. He will not look. And now it's Hurst against Banks. And Banks has saved it. It saved the penalty for me in the semi-final in the League Cup, and they went on to win it. Got them to the final and winning the final against Chelsea. I think it's more than the game. I think it's being a good man being a good father, being a good granddad, and also being very proud and humble of yourself. When I started my career as a professional football, never ever thought anything like this would, would happen for me. And uh, I really am very, very proud that, that, that it has. And obviously, not just for me, but for my family as well, because they're, they're the same, they feel proud as well. Some people are on the pitch, they think it's all over. It is now, it's four. England are the world champions. The tributes flooded in and were heartfelt from fellow goalkeepers Bob Wilson, Peter Shilton, David Seaman, fellow professionals Stuart Pearce, Jeff Hurst and Ian Holloway when it was announced that England's greatest ever goalkeeper, Gordon Banks, had died aged 81. Over the course of a career spanning 750 games, he made countless saves. He made many of them look a lot easier than they were. That was his style. One of the boys of 66, one of England's World Cup heroes. Four years later, he made the save many think is the greatest ever. This is Gordon Banks, the man behind the save. We hear about how he did it from the man himself. 
We hear about England's 1966 World Cup winning campaign. Although when he reflected on his life in football a few years ago, Gordon Banks reminded us all that as a young teenager, things didn't start well. If this happened to me, it, it, it could happen to anybody. So I, 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 can, I, can I just say before I tell you the story that, that if there is somebody there with children and grandchildren and, and they're not, you know, they're having a bit of a bad time, then give, give them a lift and tell them this story because it, it will it will give them a lift and, and, and they, they can do exactly what I did. Uh, it, it was I was playing for uh, the, the, this, uh, this this club, a local team, and that was only because I'd missed the bus. I was I was 15 years of age. And I missed the bus going to Sheffield Wednesday to watch Sheffield Wednesday play. And uh, so I thought, oh, I, I, I'm only going to get there till half time. I might as well go and watch the local team. And, and warming up, and one guy walked to me and said, you used to play goal at school. And so I said, yeah. He said, do you want to get my goal? He's not turned up. <laughs> so that was me starting <laughs> off. And uh, and then, as you, as you rightly said, I was asked to go for a trial uh, to, to this uh, Stocksbridge Works. And uh, we actually lost. This was a trial game, much, much uh, better side with a, in a better league, much better league than I was playing in. Guess how many I let in? 12. 12, <laughs> 12 goals I let in. But, but I knew there was no future there because the manager walked up and said, Banks, are you on the phone? I said, no. He says, well, we'll give you a ring if we want you again. <laughs> but no, the, the, I mean, I went back to the, the team I was playing for. They were quite happy to have me back. And uh, then along come Chesterfield asked me if I'd like to go for a trial for the youth team. Mm. So, but, but these things do happen. And, you know, I just love playing. And I, I was quite happy to go back to the other side, you know, as long as I was, I was playing. And uh, mm. that thing that's what you've got to do. Sheffield-born Gordon Banks left school at 15 and worked for the local coal merchant. He became a hod carrier, but soon caught the attention of Chesterfield Football Club. Talk about serving your country, he completed national service of the Royal Signals Regiment before starting to direct defenders around in the Football League. He also played for Leicester City and Stoke City. He was voted FIFA Goalkeeper of the Year six times in succession. He was a man of the people, and in his early days as a pro, the connection between player and fan was much closer than it is today. We got on well with the, with the public. We, we mixed with them, had a chat to them, you know, gave them autographs, everything. Um, uh, we, we were just proud to be professional footballers. I think that was the main thing. When, because when you think in terms of when I was a young child, no televisions, uh, radio, lots of radio, but might have been only a couple of televisions in, in, the, in the whole street and we couldn't afford one, that's for sure. But uh, so every young lad at that time would be out on the street kicking a ball about, a tennis ball, whatever it was, you know, after they'd finished school. Uh, so then you can imagine the millions of uh, young boys playing football at that time. And for you to be picked out of all those kids to become a professional footballer, I mean, that was, that was really, you really felt proud for that. His talent was shining through. And although he was playing in the top flight of English football, he wasn't exactly earning top wages. The wages that we had was uh, was more or less common to the average man's working wage in the street. My first five years at Leicester City couldn't earn no more than £20 a week. And then uh, when the the uh, union, you know, Jimmy Hill, I believe, was running it at the time, they said, no, we can't have this, you've got to negotiate your, your own contract. Uh, so it went up to 35 <laughs> The competition was intense, and Gordon was intent on making the very best of his talent. Well, to, to fight to get my place in the game was very, very hard because, as I just mentioned to you, you know there was there was large 
pl- a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of players at one club, if you understand my meaning. At Leicester, when I got to Leicester, there'd be something like four goalkeepers, you know, and I, I was at the bottom because I was the last to be there. I started in the reserves, obviously. But what I did do to, 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 to improve uh, my, my goalkeeping was after I'd finished training, in other words, all the running, exercising that I did with all the players in the morning, uh, we didn't really have a lot of ball work. So what I would do, they'd all finish at lunchtime, right? So they'd go shower and went home. I would bring a couple of reserve players back, might be some of the A team, a couple of A team players back in the afternoon for them to bang the ball at me and I'd, I'd get in the net and, and I'd get a lot, a lot more practice. And, and I, I believe that that really did help me tremendously. It really did. The hard work paid off. Gordon established himself as Leicester's number one keeper as they reached two FA Cup finals, but losing out in both. Against Bill Nicholson's double-winning Spurs side and Sir Matt Busby's Manchester United. By 1964, Gordon had his hands on his first winner's medal. Leicester beat Stoke 4-3 in the League Cup final. At this point, he'd firmly established himself as England's first choice goalkeeper and a new manager, Alf Ramsey. I've got to tell you what a great guy this, this man was. He was a fabulous manager. Unlike whether it be you being the centre forward and him knowing something about the centre off, he'd, he'd go over to you and say, Look, you know, this lad is, does this, does this, but his weakness is that and that and that. I mean, it's the same with me. Like, it, it, Alf would come up to me and, and say, you know, Watch out, Gordon, this, this right winger. You know, is 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 you know very good player, but if he comes on his left foot, make sure you're aware because he's got he can shoot with both feet, and you be aware that he can he can hit that ball and and bet your life it, it happened in the game you know. But I was aware of it, so I'd be off my line. Somebody got that ball on his left foot, I'd be off my line. You know, it was great. It was, this man was wonderful, wonderful manager. The build-up to the 1966 World Cup was underway and Ramsey was laying the foundations for his team. Banks, Cohen, Wilson, Charlton, Moore, a formidable lineup for anyone to get past. It took us a while to get to establish that because Alf, obviously, between, uh, between 63 and 66, which is when I got in, I got in, my first cap was in 1963, Alf was looking at different people coming into that side that would fit into the formation. So it was... You know, one in one, and, and it would take a while until Alfred said, "Right, you know, this is it. This is my back four. and uh, and of course he stuck to he stuck to them then. And uh, we then got to know each other on that football field. The amount of games we played, we you know, it, it, it got more and more. So the experience grew. We got to know each other. So we were not we're not now looking like a a, a, a league team, a league back four. Which was great. It made it. It made it a lot more comfortable for me, especially. You know, as the as the years went by, uh, and we had. I, I'm not sure. Well, I am sure that it was the year that we actually played in in '66. We'd gone. I don't know how many. Get something like about 12, 14 games without defeat. So, that for me was security for that team. Us not conceding very many goals. 
us getting the odd the odd goal, but us being like a solid, making it a solid team, especially at the back, which is what you have to have. You you have to be solid at the back to start off with, and then you know go up the field and, and, and be better that way. The manager was very confident about this defence. So confident, he told everyone England would win the tournament. The likes of Brazil, West Germany, Italy, Hungary could all be beaten. When Alf Ramsey said we were going to win the World Cup in 66, no, we, 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 didn't really <laughs> we didn't really look at it like that at the time. Uh, because I've always said this, and, and I mean it sincerely, that nobody knows the start of a World Cup, all those international teams being involved in a tournament, and none of them know exactly what's going to happen. You know, I've seen uh, countries who I thought, oh, they have no chance. <laughs> like, they, they, they've, they've played absolutely wonderful stuff and got right up to, like, the quarterfinals of the <laughs> semi. And I think, blooming and, and I'm really shocked at what I've seen. Uh, so, as I said, we went into 66 uh, with the thought of, yes, we'd had this great run-up uh, up to getting there. But for me... That didn't it didn't it didn't really make any difference because I'm I'm thinking well we've got all these these other teams to play now the really important matches the real ones the others were a lot of friendly matches and that this is this was really mattered uh, so no I I just said to myself all I want to happen is that the lads give it a hundred percent. We go out there, we help each other to play, we play as, as good as we can, play as a team and just hope that we get the right results. That, that, that was my thoughts when I walked up for that tunnel for that first game. The 66 World Cup on home soil arrived. A draw with Uruguay and wins against Mexico and France in the group stage set up a quarter-final with Argentina. It turned out to be an international football match that very nearly became an international incident. It was a key game Gordon Banks talked about when in conversation about his World Cup memories a few years ago. That, that, was, that was a game that I just could not believe happened, uh, the Argentine game, because uh, I don't know whether any of the other lads have spoken about this, but um, what happened in that game, I'd never seen all the years I played professional football within, with England, with, with the clubs that I played for, and I'd travelled the world. Never seen anything that happened that day, and it never... What happened, it never reached the press uh, because of Alf Ramsey. And I'll tell you at the end why that happened, what he said at, at the end of it. When uh, Ratin, the captain, uh, got sent off, you know, uh, as you know, he, he stood on the pitch and uh, he wouldn't go off. He waved to his players, come on, we're all going off. He wanted to take the players off the field. And it was him that had, that had deliberately kicked Martin Peters uh, and, and he deserved to get sent off. He'd been warned if he did it again, and he'd done it again, so he, he, the referee sent him off. And he looked at the referee, the referee went off, and he looked down at him because he's quite tall and the referee's only small, and he goes, Shook his head like he wouldn't go off. As I say, turn around, come on, we're all going off. And by this time, officials had come on, everything, and can't speak their language, but you know, as they were saying, if you take your team off, you forfeit the game, England will go through. Now, with that, he thinks, well, all right, they've <laughs> sent me off, but I'm not going to walk off, they're going to have to drag me off. And <laughs> sure, an official, either arm, pulling this man off, he wouldn't go off a field. When we win the game, 
George Cohen's taking his shirt off to pass to this player. Alf comes running off the field. You don't change shirts with these players. <laughs> he couldn't stand them all. He now goes up and grabs the shirt that George Cohen's pulling, pulling on the shirt. Finally, they let go of the shirts that they walked out with. Visualise a scene in their country. Captain's got sent off, lost one nil, can't get all of an England shirt, they ain't best please. Visualise a scene in our country with the same final of the World Cup. Seriously, got the champions going, the lads are jumping around. True story, all of a sudden through the plate glass door comes a chair, crash, bloody glass all over the place. And now going over, they wanted to fight us in the tunnel. They wanted to give Seriously, that actually happened, and I'm not exaggerating, and the reason why it never reached the press, Alf got us all together in that dressing room when we were up after we'd had a shower and everything, and he said, look, you lads, I've had a word with the officials. He says, now listen, this does not leave this room. And that was a true story, and that, that, I, I just I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. It was ridiculous. The excitement was building. The next hurdle was a semi-final with Portugal, whose star man was Eusebio. Oh, Eusebio, diamond of a player, as you say, he was great. Um, terrific player, this guy. He could, he, he was really outstanding. Whatever he did, he, he, he was terrific. And uh, that was, if you remember, the first goal that I'd let in. It was a penalty, uh, and he took it and uh, crashed it in the back of the net. And they, but it wasn't just him. It was they had a, a solid, a solid team, a good side that played some terrific football, attacked, come up for us, you know, got back and defended well. So for us to get through that one, that was that was that was really something for us. And I think, I think that, that then, even though it was a final, uh, that gave us that little bit of uh, extra uh, to go, to walk out with it when we play that final after beating after beating uh, Portugal, because they were a really, really class side. England had won 2-1. What a moment for Bobby Moore, captain of England in their first ever World Cup semi-final, and for the great Bobby Charlton. Eusebio wept as he left the field. England 2, Portugal 1. England had reached the World Cup final. There was no question Gordon Banks would be in goal, but there was a selection dilemma. Jimmy Greaves was fit again, after missing the quarter-final and semi-final through injury. His goal-scoring record for England was an incredible 43-54. in 54. But Alf Ramsey stuck with Jeff Hurst, and Gordon felt for Jimmy Greaves. I was a little bit surprised and disappointed that Jim couldn't get back in, Jimmy Greaves, because he, he was such a great goal-scorer and everything. But when you think in terms of, of Alf, and he, he sort of looked at people, looked at how the team were playing, you know, did we create more chance with the Jeff in? He got the, started to get in the goals. Uh, why should I change it now? So really, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to praise the man for, for having the courage, really, because everybody in this country knew you were a great player, Jimmy Greaves was, but he got the guts to, to say, well, he's, he's scoring goals, he's working hard, he's doing well, I'll, I'll leave him in. England prepared to play in the World Cup final. And on the morning of July the 30th, 1966, Nobby Styles was up early to go to Mass. Bobby Charlton went to the shops to exchange a shirt that was the wrong size. Ray Wilson bought a pair of shoes. No surprise, Gordon Banks has vivid memories of the day. I do remember the morning of the match. There was about five of us, I think. And we said, come on, we'll have a walk into Hendon. You know, it was only just down the road, it wasn't very far. Uh, just have a stroll around the shops down there. As we come out of the hotel, 
there was a few people there <laughs> they were wishing us wishing us little, only about maybe about 10 10 or 15 and they were wishing us the best and this was this was in the morning you know we just had breakfast you know <laughs> so we walked down there and uh, we started strolling around the shops but it didn't take long before we we thought we wanted to get back you know because uh, one or two people coming up to us and everything so we thought no we'll get by the time we got back, now <laughs> there was another another twenty outside. So we're now like pushing ourselves through to get back in the hotel. And when we got in there, now sat down. Obviously, now it was time to get the stuff ready. Uh, time to have our, our little uh, uh, snack before the game, you know. And uh, but but at that time, by then, the the tension was getting getting quite quite a lot. We now on the bus. Well. well before sorry, before we got on the bus, we now come down there with our bag, and we now and there was a quite a large crowd. They're all clapping like this, and all cheering and wishing us best luck. And that was they weren't even going to the game; they were just from the local houses nearby. So we we, we got on the bus and off we went. And this is really when it, it it kicked. I mean, don't get me wrong, the night before sleeping, we were struggling to get off. I, I talked to a lot of the lads, and they're all saying the same thing, you know. Now we're on the bus, driving down there, and there was hardly normally they're playing cards on things like they just we just sat in seats looking out the window, and uh, you know just so involved in the mental thing going. Now coming down Wembley Way, seeing all the, the the different fans, the West Germans and the English. Oh crikey, this this was this was enormous. Never ever had, had the attention been like this. By the time we got to that dressing room door. We got in, and and then uh, then it settled a little bit, but then Alf told us to go out and do our our natural uh, thing, which would would be we go onto the pitch to see what stud we'd be wearing and see how soft uh, the turf was. Uh, if we needed a change, we'd go we'd go a change. Might be a big one or a small one, um, but in this case, it was a bit soft. So I think I think I think I just left mine as it was. Uh, but back in the dressing room again, you know, it, it went on a little bit closer and closer. And then, of course, walking out into that tunnel uh, and just standing there, just for a, a very, very short while, it was, oh dear, it was, it was uh, <laughs> like nothing on earth. And then, of course, you know, we, we, we started to walk up the tunnel. Uh, you, got, you got the roar of the crowd which was enormous, as you can imagine, in being Wembley. You've got the national anthem, which you stood there, you know, so proud of, uh, listening to that and singing along. And then you got the Queen coming along, you know, shaking, shaking her hand, uh, which was another wonderful thing. And then, of course, the warming up, the run to the goal and that, and then that was at its highest. That was really right at its very highest when warming up. But then lined up, and that, as soon as that whistle went, it just it just went. It just all that all that you know excitement, the the tension, everything. It just went, and in my mind, and I, I know it happened, and I'm certain it was it was with all the lads' mind. All they thought about, right? We've got it. We've got our job to do here. Let's let's get on with it and get it done. And that's that's what we did. But it was the tension was honestly enormous. It really was.
It was the days of black and white television coverage. And it was the white shirts of West Germany that scored first. 12 minutes gone. Helmut Haller has put West Germany in the lead. England equalised and took the lead. There were seconds to go when West Germany scored again. Where was VAR when you needed it? It was a free kick for them. Well, what would it be? 25 yards on, on my right-hand side of the, of, the, uh, of the penalty area, just outside the area. I put the line up uh, just in case he was, he was going to have a shot and he thumped it across and they were now, they were now running in. But they'd gone a little bit too far and, and one of the germs, I can't remember which they are, I can't, it, 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 as it was running, it hit his arm here. Because it hit his arm, it now rolled into, into the, as I say, I can't remember now, the guy at the far post who ran onto it now and banged it in the, in the back of the net. And uh, myself and Bobby, Bobby Moore did exactly the same as I We're going like this to the referee. You know, it, it, it's a handball. You, you, it's giving them the goal. It's it his arm. It's a, it's a free kick for us. Didn't take any notice, though. Alan Ball grabbed the ball and put it on the centre spot to let the German side know that England weren't finished and were ready to go again. When the final whistle went, manager Alf Ramsey gathered his players around him. Some of them sat down, some of the lads sat down. And all the Germans, they sat down on the field. And Alf come round and he was doing... He, he was looking away at them. So he went, get up, get up. He said, get up. And he, he didn't want them to, to think that we were as tired as they were, you see. <laughs> that, was, that was typical, Al. That, so we all stood up and now he starts to tell us, right, come on, you know, you can, you can do this, you can, you, you know, you can, you can beat them. And uh, let's keep playing like we're playing. And uh, it, 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 he said, and, and it'll happen. And that, that was Al. Yeah, that was typical Al. Yeah. His ball running himself back. says no. And Jeff hit the crossbar and it went a yard over the, over the line. <laughs> no, it, it, was, it was, you know, very close to the line, but, but spun out. And Roger, who was standing really close to it, he turned round, that's a goal. You know, uh, he didn't even bother to, and he was on his own. He could have run in and probably made sure. I'm not sure. I know it bounced a bit high, but, uh, but he, he, thought it, he, thought, he thought it was a goal. It's a goal. The match was in the dying seconds of extra time. A German attack broke down and a nation was metaphorically shouting, Rosehead, Rosehead. Yeah, Big Jack uh, shouted to him, clear, get, it, get, it, get it away, get it away. And I said the same thing. I told him to clear it. But knowing, no, well, knowing Bob Lacker knew him, oh, he was not going to give that ball away. He was not going to give them that ball away. When that was his, seems as though that was his motto. Every pass he made, whether it be short or long, it... 90% it, 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 got its, it got its work done and got to the player. And it, it, this was great. And he'd seen Jeff make this run now. And, of course, he, he put his head down as quick as he could because there's somebody closing him down. Bang, and he knocked that ball. And now Jeff is, 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 is ran past his opponent and he's clean through. Absolutely fantastic. And there he went, ran into that, just inside the box. I think he crashed it right into the top corner. What a great goal. 
great goal. I know he just said that he wanted to hit it as far as possible so the game would be over. But uh, he, he was shooting, I think he was shooting for goal and it went right in the top corner, great goal. And here comes Hurst, he's got some people are on the pitch, they think it's all over. It is now, it's four. I knew then it was over because just before it went in, I'd, I'd had a look, just just a glance up at the at the stand, and some were leaving. Some were leaving the the ground. You know, they get away to to beat the traffic, and uh, so I thought, well, it's it's got to be very close now to be, to be full time. Uh, and then when that went in, I thought, they're not going to get us now. And I knew we'd won it. So it was great. Yeah, we were running around that field with the World Cup in our hand and watching. The, even even the Germans were were, were giving us a a, a lovely. Round of applause as we went around there, uh, but of course the England the fans are going absolutely berserk, and we were, we took it in turns. Bob Bobby made sure that every one of us had a had a, a little run with that with that uh, World Cup in our hand, and we, we all got a, a round of applause, and then he, he'd take it back and then give it to us somewhere else, and and then uh, we had the photograph taken uh, at the end uh, with the World Cup, and uh, it, it was oh just fantastic, yeah. <laughs> Not a cloud in the sky. And after all the celebrations, England's World Cup winners went back to work. With no surprise to Gordon, life changed. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Music, everything, yeah, every fashion, everything was like, seems like it was changing. And, uh, you know, to, to be part of that was something really, really special. You know, it was, it was just great. It really was. And wherever we went, you know, out to the restaurant with a wife or on the pictures with, with, with your son. Uh, you know, people come up and, you know, shake your hand and, and uh, it was just, oh, it was absolutely just different, completely different. It was fantastic, it really was. And you did, again, as I said, you so, were so proud that you'd done it for your country and, and, and uh, you know, to be part of that was superb. Life had changed, but life was about to move on. Leicester was suddenly of the opinion that his best days were behind him. Although an ambitious young goalkeeper called Peter Shilton was coming through the ranks and told the club to play him or let him go. When I saw this piece in the paper saying Peter Shilton's put, the, put, uh, put an ultimatum to the board saying if he doesn't get first team football, he wants to leave the club. And he'd only just, he'd only, I think he'd only just had one season in the reserves. I think he was only 18, I think, something, something of that nature. Might have been 17, I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I, and I was playing for England at the time, and I thought, well, there's no chance, like you know, that, that, that they'll, they'll give him, you know, pick him in place of me, because as I said, I was playing regular and and we were doing well. But 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 a couple of weeks later, it said the board are going to have a meeting uh, this week to consider what you know the, the, the situation with Peter Shilton. The next day, the manager pulls me out of training and says, he says, Gordon, he said, you know the situation with Peter. I said, yeah. He says, well, what would you think about leaving? <laughs> I thought, oh, well, if that's what you think. In fact, I looked at him. I couldn't believe, honestly, I couldn't believe he'd done it. I, and I did look at him with quite quite shocked, I was. And I mm. said, well, if that's all you think of me, yeah, I'll go. Leicester asked for bids. The then Liverpool manager, Bill Shankly, wanted him to move to Anfield, but couldn't persuade the Liverpool board to pay the transfer fee. Stoke nipped in to sign England's international goalkeeper, who was still going strong when the 1970 Mexico World Cup came along. I felt very proud to 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 still be playing with England because, as I said, there were so many players coming through, pushing me for my place, and the outfield players pushing there for their places as well. 
so to still be playing at that time, yes, I was, I was still thrilled to bits. And it was a group game in the 1970 World Cup that produced the moment that's been played and replayed again and again and again. The moment when Gordon Banks made the save acknowledged by many as the greatest ever. In defence of the World Cup facing Brazil, as Gordon takes up the story, the ball was in the Brazilian penalty area. The goalkeeper threw the ball out to Carlos Alberto, the fullback who pushed it away at some speed. They want an England player within 20 yards of this guy. Jarzino, the right winger, leading goal scorer of the competition, now starts to run towards Carlos Alberto. Terry Cooper, our left back, he'd been told by Alf, you stand on this guy's toes, can't, can't afford to give him in. So as he's running forward, he's got Terry within touching distance here. But of course, as he's running forward, leaving the space behind him. All of a sudden, he checks turns. Now he starts to sprint down line and he's caught him out. He's caught him out. He's now about a yard and a half in front of him on the touchline side. And they're sprinting. Well, he's good sprint. But tell you what, Terry could sprint. Terry, he was, he, was, he was quick, I tell you. But he caught him out. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Carlos Alberto seen what's happened. Ball's on the floor and as I say, it's rolling away from him. It's the pass of the lights I've never seen before in my life. Outside of his right foot, bang. To Kurt, don't come off, <laughs> off the floor. Curl it on the inside of Terry and it's curling round him right into Jarzino's horsepower. What a great, what a great ball. He now collects in his stride and cuts across Terry to come to the edge of the penalty area. I came, and it's now clear of him, I came to near post for two reasons. First of all, I'm thinking any Brazilian thinks oh, <laughs> the goalkeeper's not, not concentrating, doing a bit of sunbathing, might just try a shot. Though it was a bad angle, it might just... Secondly, more importantly, Bobby Moore was marking Tostao. He now leaves him to cut him out. If you ever see it again, if it pull it back to him, I wouldn't have had a prayer. Not an England, not an England player within 10 yards of this guy. He's on the near post. But because Jorzino's pushed it forward, he can't 
across until he gets to the ball. I've got time to have a look to see where people are. Unless he raced into the area, Pelly, the greatest player I've ever seen. Alan Mullery was about a yard behind. Now racing into that box. Look further over there, Jarzino. If <laughs> he got it on his left foot, oh, he's either going to break my wrist or break the back of it. And that's when I was really like this. But he now gets to the ball and he crosses it for Pelly, who's racing into that area. I run from that near post to the centre goal. Never ever did I stand on the line in normal play. Always stood a few yards off the line just in case I've ever got to reach back for it. Here's when it's coming to fruition. First of all, I've got to wait for him to hit it. If I anticipate and go that way, and as he that way, I have no takeoff point. I've got to be even, evenly balanced. He now punches it with his head, and it's going just inside this right hand post. Speed it's come off his head. I know I've got to get over there double quick. But here's where the hardest part, I'd say, was if I dive across here, it wasn't going to reach my hand there. It was going to bounce about two yards, three yards in front of me, me dive. So now, as I'm leaping across it, I've got to anticipate how high it's going to bounce up from the hard surface. As I reach back here, it hits the top of my hand and it goes behind me. And I, honestly, I thought it was a goal. I thought it was in. And then, because I don't know where it's gone, the momentum of the save brings my lower part of my body around, my head come round, and I now see the ball bounce behind the goal. <laughs> wow. Carlos Alberto, that's dangerous. Giardino. Oh, left to the What a save! God, Take that out of the net! And I do tell this at the after-dinner speeches. <laughs> Bobby Moore walked over to me and lent over and said, Pansy, try and get a hold of them, for Christ's sake. No silly corners. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I just have a laugh about that when I go to the dinner. But, Bob, no, Bobby, just come over and... And uh, tap me, pat me on the back, you know, as a couple of players did, like, you know, making the save, yeah. That miraculous save from Pele came early in the game, but England did concede and lost 1-0. The only goal Gordon Banks conceded en route to a quarter-final with West Germany. But in the run-up to that match, Gordon was taken ill with food poisoning. I still don't know to this day why I was the one. I mean, when, when the press asked me when I was over there, do you think you've been got at, you know, a uh, food poison? I said, no, don't be silly. Who would go to that say, length? But as I looked over it, after a, a few months and, you know, maybe a year, a couple of years had gone by, I thought to myself, yeah, how, how come we sat, all sat at the table together? We all ate the same food together. How come I was the one that got it really that bad and I, I, I still don't know to, to this day whether they did or not I'm not sure This was a major blow and every effort was made to get Gordon onto the pitch It became clear just how important manager Alf Ramsey thought Gordon Banks was to the team He said to me the day before he said Gordon he said now uh, what I'd like to do if, if, if you would do it we'd like to give you an, uh, a, a fitness test in the morning, see if, you, see if you're available to play. He said, order yourself some food, they'll bring it to the room, and then I'll, I'll come around with, the, with Harold and uh, we'll, we'll take you for a fitness test if you're agreeable. I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go, Alf. So I ordered some scrambled egg and toast and uh, I just had a bit of it. Didn't have, didn't have it all that much, a little bit of toast. And then there was a knock on the door and there's, there's Alf with Harold Shepherdson. And he says, have you had some... I said, yeah, I've had, I've had a bit of. He says, are you all right for the fitness? I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. 
I went out, I mean, this is how desperate he was to get me to play. I went out there and it was only like, only a bit of, little bit of, bit of grass here that went up to these, to these trees, you know, just behind where, where our rooms were. Uh, so he said, just jog up to that tree and bike. It was only about, what would it be, 20 yards, something like that. So I, I went up there and come back. He says, how do you feel? <laughs> I, I thought, what are you kidding? He says, go on. I, I says, all right. He said, well, do it, do it a few more times. So I, I did it a few more times. I come back. He says, how do you feel? I says, okay. Well, he says, well, Harold will give you some ball work. So I, thought, I went, okay, then. So he got these two towels. He put these two towels down. So I stood it between these two towels. And honestly, I'm not exaggerating. Listen at this. I'm ready for him to hit this ball. Guess what he did? Roll it underhand. <laughs> he rolled it underhand. And I just stepped over and I picked it up and I threw it back to him. Threw it the, rolled it the other side. Went up there, threw him back. And he did this for about a dozen times. And then he came and said, how do you feel? I went, okay. He says, do you think you'll be all right then? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I couldn't believe it. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a try then. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. He says, okay, good, okay. Now, by the time we, we got back and everything, it was now the team meeting, and he got the biggest room, Al, so we were squashed into his room. There wasn't a, you know, any, any bigger room, you see. So... I'm the last in there after this finish, so they're all waiting to go in the room. The only the only place I could I could, I could sit down was the door I just closed. So I sat down there and put me back against the door. He now announces that I'm in the side, announces the rest of the team, and now starts to talk about how we're going to play and the, op the opposition. He'd only been talking no more than five to ten minutes, and I'm on the floor, and I'm not kidding you, sweat just literally starts to, to pour down my face. And I, I just felt, oh, I just felt awful. And somebody must have pointed at him because he turned around and he, he's looking at me while he's talking. And I could see him out of the corner of my eye. I've got my head down, I could see him out of the corner. Of my eye. When he finished, he, he just walked away. He says, are you all right, Gordon? I went, no, I, I don't feel very good. Oh, he says, no, well, we can't, we can't. Peter, you're in goal. So Peter was now thrust in the goal that same day. Not he hadn't played for England for I don't know how long. I'd, I'd gone on and on and on like without without him. He was now thrust into this game last minute, and I can imagine the nervous system that he must have had. Peter Benetti was drafted into the team, and all dreams were dashed when from two up England lost three two. This was pre-mobile phone, Wi-Fi, multi-channel TV days. Gordon was in the team hotel watching the game on delay when his dejected teammates arrived back. The worst part about it was it started, like, later, if you understand what I mean. It wasn't live, it started later. So I, I got the half-time score where I was <laughs> doing well. And they're now walking through the door with these long faces. And I thought they were taking the mickey. I honestly thought the lads were taking the mickey. I thought we would have won it. When they walked through the door and they said we lost, I couldn't believe it. I thought they were joking. And then later on it come on telling, I saw it. But obviously, they, they, you know, they were that disappointed and long-faced that um, I realised that, that, that uh, they were telling me the truth, you know. But it was, it was a bit of a, a shock when, when they lost after, after winning, two, going two goals up, you know. I was surprised at that. 
It might have been maybe the only error I think Arth might have made by, by dro uh, leaving, not dropping them, but leaving them out to save the legs. I think that, I, I can imagine why he'd done it, you know, the heat, that, that, that you know, a midfielder's really getting up and down and working a lot more than the others would be, you know, be very, very tired. And I think that's, that's the reason he did it, you know. The absence of Gordon Banks was a big factor in England's World Cup exit. Foul play was suspected. It remains a mystery. It's a good cross ball, it's for And it's fantastic save by Banks. What a fantastic save by Gordon Banks. I scored so many goals in my life, but many people, when they meet me, always ask me about that save. While it was indeed phenomenal, my memory of Gordon is not defined by that. It's defined by his friendship. He was a kind and warm man who gave so much to people. So I'm glad he saved my header, because that act was the start of a friendship between us that I will always treasure. Whenever we met, it was always like we'd never been apart. I have great sadness in my heart today, and I send condolences to the family he was so proud of. Rest in peace, my friend. Yes, you were a goalkeeper with magic, but you were also so much more. You were a fine human being. That was an extract from a statement released by Pelly when it was announced that Gordon Banks had died. A great friendship had developed between the two, given the famous save in the 1970 World Cup. You're listening to a special TalkSport tribute to honour England's greatest goalkeeper. The word famous doesn't quite do that save justice. It's regarded by many as the best ever made. There was a great mutual respect between the two men involved. For me, Pelly was the greatest player I've ever seen. I played with... Uh, sorry, against people, well, with, with great players as well, obviously, but players like Stanley Matthews before he finished, he was a great, great player in his time. He, in my time, people like George Best and your Dennis Lord and your Bobby Charlton's and all these great players in my time. Today's players, Messi and Ronaldo, great players. But this man, Pelly, was absolutely fantastic. He could do everything 100%, shoot, pass, dribble and head. This guy was absolutely fantastic. He really was uh, a great, great player. Back to club duty for Stoke and another great day at Wembley. In the 1972 League Cup final, Stoke beat Chelsea, although they might not have been in the final at all had it not been for a bank semi-final penalty save from his England teammate Jeff Hurst. It reinforced the opinion that he'd given when he left Leicester. I've not come here to retire, you know. I've come here to win something. But retirement was fast approaching, not through choice. A few months later, a car crash resulted in him losing the sight in one eye and brought his playing career to a premature end. But as Gordon explains, there was a comeback. If you know anybody that's, that's a child or, or, or a relative or a, or a friend lost an eye, if you relate this story to them, you know, I'm sure it will give them a lift because I could not believe, and I swear to you, I could not believe that this happened. I'd got the job of coaching the youth team at Stoke after my accident and because they hadn't got a goalkeeper, I'd go in in a shooting session and I'd just set them, come on, just bang it past me, I, I, you know, I, and... and, and, and I was like that. It was slipping through me, hitting me on the nose, and all these sort of things early on. Okay. And then, and then, as the weeks, months, and a year went by, 
I'm now, they can't get one past me. And the reserves now come in and, and shooting session. They can't. First, some of the first team lads. And I just can't, I couldn't. And then the manager now plays me in friendly matches because when there's an international match on, uh, there's like three, three, three or four guys in the team were international, Welsh or Irish or whatever, and, and they'd cancel the game, but, but the manager would uh, have a, a friendly match and he'd put me in goal, you see. And uh, I was, I mean, I, I thought, heck, I'm not sure about this. Anyway, I, I did okay, and then, and then this this thing came up, and he got me in the offices, and you, you've you've had a, a request to go and play. First one, Chicago, and it was who was the Man United centre half that retired at that time? Can't think of his name. He was managing anyway. He he asked me if I'd be available, and I, and I thought to myself, I can't, I can't play in competitive football with one eye. No, no, no. That's just the manager no, no anyway another year go by and again I've, I've even got better and, and then at Fort Lauder he says Fort Lauder he says why didn't you go he said he says sign it to your contract I said all right then under one condition my, my job's here when I got back I, w- I went <laughs> out there honestly I, I couldn't believe it I, I'm, I swear to you I couldn't believe it I, I, I'm playing as though as though I really had got two eyes the only thing I had to do it was like the third third vision, if you understand. You uh-huh. know, you can see out, but you can see out the side when you've got two good eyes. You can see out the side of both eyes, but but to the right hand side, with my bad eye, I couldn't see. You know, to the right hand side very well. So I had to turn my head that little bit more to see where people were when the ball was on the other on on my left hand side on the pitch. <laughs> anyway, finished up. Honestly, I'm not being funny. I, as you said, I got voted the best goalkeeper and only conceded 1.2 goals. We won. We win the league. And don't forget, you know who's in our league? Uh, New York Cosmos with Pelly Beckenbauer, yeah. Carlos Alberto, all these guys playing in that team, and we we win the league. With thanks to Matt Lorenzo for recordings collected for the film Bobby. And with TalkSport archive material, we've been able to produce Gordon Banks, the man behind the save. Gordon was voted the goalkeeper of the season when he made a comeback in the United States. Top goalkeepers tell me that playing with the sight in only one eye, it would be unnerving and disorientating, that the perception of depth and distance of the ball would also be so difficult it would border on the impossible. But it's the mark of the man. World Cup winner, safe as the Banks of England, the Banksy that turned goalkeeping into an art form. Because in my eyes, the greatest save he ever made was at uh, West Ham away when we were in the semi-final of the 72 League Cup and he saved Jeff Hurst's penalty. And now it's Hurst against Banks. When I started my career as a, as a professional footballer, never ever thought anything like this would, would happen for me. I, I really am very, very proud that, that, that it has, and obviously not just for me, but for my family as well, because they're, they're, they're the same, they feel proud as well. Great moment in English sporting history. England are the world champions.